Welcome to Indie Matters, the show from the Nevada Independent. I'm your host, Joey Lovato, up here in Reno. And I'm reporter and producer Jacob Solis down in Las Vegas. We are on a three-week podcast hiatus to celebrate Christmas and the New Year, but we wanted to replay a few of our favorite stories from 2021. Starting with reporter Jackie Valley talking about her story on people choosing to leave Nevada, even as our population grows. Then I talked to two artists, one who went to the Renegade Burning Man event after the official one was canceled, and one who decided to hold off until next year. And we end the show with some movie musings from CEO John Ralston. That movie chat originally happened during a fundraising livestream event in November. All right, and so I am here with our reporter, Jackie Valley. Jackie, how's it going? Nice to be here, Joey. I'm doing well. Yeah, good. So you recently reported on a story on people choosing to leave the state, leave Nevada, move away. And, and I think that that's a really interesting thing because a lot of what's been in the news, a lot of, a lot of the prevailing narrative has been that Nevada is growing. It's growing very quickly. A lot of people are moving here. But with people moving here also means that there's a lot of change. And I think that that sometimes is hard for people to deal with. Also, with the growth comes the cost associated with that, right? It usually becomes more expensive in larger, more densely populated areas. And so with that in mind, tell me a little bit about your story. Yeah, so it was interesting. It's it's essentially the counter narrative. We know that Nevada, based on the recent census data, is the fifth fastest growing state in the nation, or at least was during the past decade. So I think the question is, like, will that continue going forward? And, and, and if so, to what extent? The pandemic obviously drastically altered people's lives, and um, I think it's causing a lot of reflection and decision-making that maybe wasn't there pre-pandemic, at least in a sense of urgency. And so I decided to take a look at, okay, there have been a lot of changes in people's lives, a lot of disruptions. So what does that mean for people now? Like, are they wanting to stay here or are they wanting to leave? We've obviously seen housing and rental prices skyrocket over the past 18 months, unemployment still relatively high, all these different factors added on top of like cultural considerations, maybe inclination to get back closer to family, et cetera. And so it was interesting to me because it really was rather easy to find people who said, yeah, like I already moved or I'm moving soon. And their reasons ranged from everything I just stated. Several said it was affordability a nurse, she was a telephone triage nurse making good income, about $65,000 a year in Las Vegas, but her rent was going up significantly by like $1,000 for this two-bedroom apartment she'd been in for 13 years. And so she just looked at it and said, you know what, I'm not going to be able to get a comparable place at a better rate right now. And so she up and moved to Raleigh, North Carolina. She's hoping to return, hoping that the prices come down and can be more affordable Another couple in Reno, they're younger, but they also both have college degrees and still felt like they couldn't get ahead because rents were rising faster than their wages. And so they are moving to DC where one of them got a job offer. The way they framed it, they'd be paying similar rents in Reno. And so this was an opportunity to have an adventure and try something different. You know, and then there were uh, a couple of folks who were concerned about the environment. Uh, We've had wildfires, we have an ongoing drought. So there were some water concerns and health concerns related to all of that. So it's like a lot of different reasons, but it was really interesting talking to everyone because they had this time to reflect and 
realized for a variety of reasons that it just wasn't working for them. One one of the first things that you mentioned about people leaving was rent prices, right? And also, I mean, housing prices to a broader sense, which is something that everybody listening to this, I'm sure has to deal with either rent or their mortgage or even looking for a home to buy. How have those prices increased and changed how people are financially handling living here? Yeah, well, I mean, if you just look at rents alone, they're up 19% in the Las Vegas area, 17% in Reno. So that, that's double digit growth. And then on the, the housing side, the median existing price for single family home in Las Vegas is now above 400000 It's It was 405000 in August. And in Reno, it's even higher. It's beyond the half a million mark. So I think people are feeling squeezed. They just don't see how they're going to get ahead or make these life changes that they want, knowing where prices are. And another concern that you mentioned uh, towards the end of, of talking about everyone that was looking at leaving was the environment and kind of the concerns there. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah. So this uh, one woman, she and her partner lived in the Anthem Country Club area of Henderson. It's a really beautiful um, uh, upscale area. They'd lived there for quite a while. She has health concerns. She has this condition where her lung capacity is compromised. And so for her, the air quality is a big concern. And she said that normally from their backyard, they could see the strip. There was a view, but now it's hazy. There's wildfire smoke. It's just, it's not great. There's some days she doesn't want to leave the house, but she's also a big conservationist and is really concerned about the environment. Her quote was, you know, I keep seeing more and more people moving here, more condos and traffic. And yet I see Lake Mead going down, down, down. And in her mind, it just didn't add up. And so they're moving to, well, they have two houses. One is near Myrtle Beach on the Carolina coast and another is in Florida. So yeah, they'll, they'll be moving to like the threat of hurricanes, but they, they decided that was the trade-off that was going to be worth it. And that's something that's interesting too, is a couple of weeks ago, you and I worked on the 200th episode of the podcast where we talked to a bunch of people about what it means to be a Nevada. And I think it was a really positive look and what it creates identity and place and the people that are here in Nevada. But there are a lot of people that are feeling disenfranchised here and you need to leave for one reason or another. The thing that I got from your story was that a lot of people were seemed sad to leave. It doesn't seem like they, they want to leave if they think they feel forced out. Is that the sense you got? Yeah, I think definitely for half of them, that's probably the case. Like it wasn't their intention or their plan originally to leave, but it was like one thing piled on top of another that just became too much to bear. So I think in terms of like the identity and talking about population trends, it'll be interesting to see what happens long term because obviously there's still a lot of people moving here. We know that there's tons of people coming from California and other places as well. So it could just end up being a shift in the makeup of the population. More people moving in, other people moving out. So not like we'll necessarily lose population. It'll change the makeup of the state with who lives here. Yeah. And, and with people coming into, I, I think part of that is you hear about how expensive it is to live in California. A lot of people in Nevada are always like, well, I hope Nevada doesn't become California. And there are, there are parts of the nation that are, that are cheaper. Look, look in the Midwest and, and areas like that. As someone from the Midwest, Jack, you have a very strong connection to Ohio. Is this something that you've noticed as well, especially talking to family is like kind of the cost of living in, in the Midwest and, and, and other places that aren't necessarily the, the coastal regions? Yeah, it's certainly cheaper there in some respects, but I'll tell you that I have a cousin who's moving back to Cleveland after living in Tennessee for a few years and rents and housing prices are also way up there now, like compared to Las Vegas, they may be lower, but they're seeing similar percentage increases. So, I mean, this is something that's happening across the country in different places too. So I think the movement story isn't specific to Nevada. It's 
playing out in different realms. All right, Jackie. Well, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. All right. Thank you. The Black Rock Desert features a flat plain known as the Playa that lies empty most of the year. But when the massive Burning Man festival happens at the end of summer, it can draw more than 70,000 people from all over the world. It started out as a sort of counterculture gathering focused on art, self-expression, and community, and has come to feature art ranging from vehicles that look straight out of Mad Max to giant temples. There's also the namesake of the festival, the Man, a massive effigy that is burned to the ground at the end of the week. There is no money at Burning Man and everything is bartered for. Many people describe their time in this pop-up community as a transformative experience unlike anything in the world. But concerns about COVID have sidelined the festival both in 2020 and this year. That didn't stop tens of thousands of people from heading up to the playa to participate in an unsanctioned renegade Burning Man though, a notably smaller and different event than it has been in the past. The people that did go gathered as campers, but without the formal organization's involvement and without the amenities and ticketing of the past. The Bureau of Land Management, which oversees the land that Burning Man takes place on, did have some temporary restrictions on things such as the size of art that people could bring out to the playa. Eric Brooks has been going to Burning Man since 2013. He's helped on art pieces and volunteered at the event. After the official Burning Man was cancelled this year, he decided to still attend the Renegade Burning Man, also called Rogue Burning Man or simply Plan B. So the biggest difference for me was not working. I normally work five to seven shifts, so everybody in our camp works, and most of my camp works at gate, and then I help on builds. So I'm used to being out there and being really active and being around things and being part of the more of the organization. And I was only out there for two nights, so two and a half days. It was, even for that short amount of time, it was strange to wake up and not have something I needed to go do. Jerry Snyder is an attorney in Reno by day, and by night he makes large art installations for Burning Man. While Brooks, who we just heard from, decided to go to the Renegade Burn, Snyder decided to stay home this year. Uh, do you feel like uh, disappointed that you're not going to be able to show this art that you've been working on, or, or do you think you'll- And we'll do it next year. Yeah, that, that's kind of the idea. Is just You know, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm sort of disappointed the event isn't happening, but come on, there's a lot more problems in the world than than Burning Man not happening. While Snyder isn't going to get to show his art this year, he did tell me about what he had planned for the future and some of his past projects and the themes they revolve around. I find that they usually seem to be revolving around some sort of lightheartedly religious theme. I play with notions of spirituality and faith and things like that. But I mean, in terms of sort of whatever tickles my fancy, one year I made a giant ichthyosaur puppet. One year I made a giant rosary. This year I'm, I was, I have an honorarium grant to make a piece called the Midnight Museum of That One Night at Burning Man, which is a series of sort of stained glass lanterns depicting scenes from, from previous Burning Man's. Brooks, who attended the Renegade Burn, talked about the differences that he saw, which mainly included the lack of large art pieces, some of which Snyder, who we just heard from, had worked on in the past. The biggest difference I saw and in talking with everyone, without a doubt, the two biggest things were art and porta potties. And especially during the day, that was the thing to do would be go check out art. And there was very, very little in comparison. The biggest piece was one of the smallest pieces at a normal burn. 
did you kind of feel that lack of organization when you're out there? Like you said, there was less porta potties. Well, yeah, there were no porta potties. So our our camp had one, and we locked it because people started using it. There was definitely lots of urine everywhere because of the, the next day you can see where people had peed, and there was talk about the feces and where it was, and there's a map of it, and then the crews that cleaned it up, all that stuff. There's a porta potty that was left out that became a really big deal. That was just left by a camp, and now it's become a legal matter. It's crazy how that stuff blows up. But overall, it was, I thought it was it was way mellower than I ever would have been, imagined it to be. And no gunshots. People drove crazy fast in the day, but for the most part, out away from people. Brooks said that he camped with about 15 other people, and next to their camp was the drone camp, a group of people who did an art installation using light-up drones in the sky, creating huge shapes. Brooks said that this was the best installation he saw this year. While the art maybe wasn't what it had been in previous years, there was some change that made the Renegade Burn unique. I think in a way the social interaction was better this year because there weren't those other things to do. So when we went out as a camp with five or six of us riding our bikes around, instead of going out to art, since there wasn't any, we just went to find bars. And they were harder to find for sure because the organization, although it was pretty fantastic, it was not easy to find places. When I went to find people, I couldn't find anyone I planned on finding. But when we ended up finding a bar to be at, we stayed for quite a bit longer than we normally would have and really talked with the people that were there, either running it or the people that were there enjoying it. So I'd learn more about people in two days than I normally would learn about in a week during a normal burn. I think having no expectations is the best way to experience a big event like Burning Man. So it was just a different experience. In 2019, there was estimated to be over 70,000 people at Burning Man. This year, the estimate was closer to 20,000. Whether it's 70,000 or 20,000, that number of people means that there is a large sheriff presence in the Black Rock Desert. And even with no official event, there was sheriff's presence this year in the desert as well. I think the law enforcement that was there tried to stay out of the way until they were doing something and then they were very present. So they weren't walking around like they normally would at a burn. The rangers, there were a few rangers around, but there wasn't the ranger presence either. I think it was a big difference. But when something did happen, there were eight cop cars and tons of lights and whoever got targeted for whatever reason, it was a, a crackdown crackdown. I asked both Snyder and Brooks if they had expected Burning Man to get canceled this year. I was a little surprised. I wouldn't say I was worried because it's, it's, it's an amazing privilege to go, but if it doesn't happen, it's, it's out of my control. I'm not going to lose sleep. I thought they would, I, I was a little surprised though. I, I have every confidence that given the information they had, they made a, a, a prudent decision. I think most, most people seem to be focused on making something next year. I expected it to be downplayed to where the organization would still have its footprint, but it would be regulated somehow to maybe people only in the country or people with vaccination cards. So I was a little surprised when it got canceled outright for the second year in a row, which then leads a really good question. The pandemic a year from now could still be just like it is now, where it's strong enough to not have people from all over the world coming and getting together. There were several things that I read of people saying, hey, uh, my campmates got COVID and I got COVID and I'm not going, but they decided they're still going to go. So there were people out there apparently who could have been spreading things around. But again, it wasn't like a normal Burning Man where you're crowded. So that even though it was a lot of people, it was still really spread out. I, I never felt uncomfortable. And except for the people in my camp, I was never really within three or four feet away. It was, it was very spread out. 
With the spread out nature of the event, Brooks mentioned earlier that there was less art. But it wasn't only less people that led to less art, but also that there were greater restrictions from the Bureau of Land Management. There was a bunch of restrictions that BLM had. Art had to be either super tiny, like six feet, or it had to be a shade structure. So they limited people from from bringing art out. Originally, there was going to be some big pieces out there. Snyder talks about the effort that goes into some of those big art pieces and how some of the pieces take several dozen people to work on them. Making a big project happen is like 1% artistic energy and 99% spreadsheets. It's just like any other project. It's a lot of like motivating people and, and making sure we have, people have the right tools and they're trained. And it's not like being in a studio with a chisel and a block of wood making something. It's, it's hard. It's a lot of work. It's usually, it's usually pretty tedious work. So it's got to be something that you're excited enough about to get through hours of, of kind of mindless drudgery handwork. While many of the large spectacles like sculptures and art installations were not physically out in the desert this year, Burning Man did officially host a digital version of their event, complete with virtual reality experiences and 3D renderings of some of the art, all available online. I asked Brooks and Snyder what they thought of the virtual Burning Man. People who aren't able to go to it now that they're doing the virtual can have a really good experience and understand more of what the culture is about. I support it, even though I don't support it through participation so much. I'm in front of a computer all day, so it didn't seem very appealing to to sort of participate virtually. And I'm not not super tech savvy, so we had talked about trying to put together a virtual version of the project, and, and that didn't get very far. I think it's I think it's neat, and a lot of friends I, who I've talked to have, have enjoyed it. Yeah, I, I think it's a cool idea. There is this techie sort of subculture or, or a, a huge techie influence at Burning Man, and I think it's it's really appropriate to have this. So it, it does seem like kind of a natural outgrowth of a lot of the threads of, of playa culture. Speaking of that techie influence, there is this perception that Burning Man is just a bunch of tech bros from Silicon Valley with tons of money that get to go out and party. Brooks talks about that and that he didn't notice as much of that culture this year at the Renegade Burn. Normally in that seven-day span of a Burning Man, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday are pretty mellow. Thursday starts feeling weird, and then Friday and Saturday, it's the LA bros that come up and just want to party and get drunk and have sex and do whatever. So that's, I didn't feel that influx at all, so maybe it happened after I was gone. I reckon the entire experience is to visiting a foreign city and You can find what you want in any foreign city. And if you want to find the more debaucherous things, you can find it. There's also a a Jewish temple that's set up. Normally there's AA meetings. I mean, there's a million things that you can do. There's a kid's camp. So, and that's, I think, a big misconception. If you just get drunk and party, you can do that anywhere. There's better things to do at Burning Man than getting drunk and partying. I had a very poor opinion of Burning Man when I moved to Reno in 2013. It's a much bigger package than the stereotypical drugs and sex. Since the event wasn't officially sanctioned, there was no ticket to buy. The people that were out there went out there without having to pay for tickets or parking passes, something that has created a perception of only rich people go out to Burning Man. This year to Brooks felt more inclusive in some ways. It's nice because people who are curious about the burn could have an experience that's in the ballpark. It's definitely much different, but they can have that experience without the $400 ticket and the parking pass and everything else that goes along with it. So the expense can be pretty exorbitant. It's it's interesting that it's, an, it's such an inclusive event, but financially it's not inclusive at all. It really does limit a lot of people. People put tons and tons of money just for the basic ability to be able to get there. 
it's it's not inclusive in that regard. So I think it would be nice to have, I don't know how that would be mitigated either. It's super complicated, like everything once it gets big. Here's what Snyder had to say about going to the event, even though he didn't get to go to the Renegade Burn this year. I really like going there and doing something impossibly hard with a group of people who just want to do this a very cool thing. It's not it's not one thing. It's not the sculptures. It's not the performances. It's not it's the whole thing is a piece of art about community and about social change and about lots of things. When you're out there, you just want it to mean something because it does seem it seems so weirdly consequential. And I think art can kind of do that in a lot of ways too. It like it, it's you can't really put your finger on what it is. The reason you make art is because well it's a lot easier to write an essay if you could just put what you're trying to do in 1500 words then that'd be a lot easier than building a thing and so i really i like that sort of framework it's sort of community as art snyder said while the last two burning mans didn't happen for him he hopes that next year will be the best one yet As for this year, Plan B became Plan A, and the Renegade Burn, while missing some of the spectacle and scale of the art on the playa, still had some sense of community to be found. Whenever I talk to anyone about Burning Man, they always say you have to be there and see it to really understand. Burning Man is a massive undertaking that shakes up the northern Nevada area for a few weeks every summer. You can find a lot of Burning Man art around Reno, and even in Las Vegas too, and there are events put on by Burning Man throughout the year in northern Nevada. Now we've got a movie discussion between myself and CEO John Ralston. The first part of this discussion aired on last week's show, so you'll be coming in part way, but we're starting a new line of questioning here, so you shouldn't be too out of the loop. Was was Arrival nominated? Because Arrival uh, is another one that really bothers me that did not win. It was the best movie that year. Amy Adams didn't even get nominated uh, uh, for Best Actress and should have won that year. Yeah. I'm not sure if Arrival was or not, but it should have been. My 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 answer is the lighthouse should have at least been nominated. I don't know if it should have won, but the lighthouse is fantastic, and it did, it was not nominated for best picture. You 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 urged me to watch the lighthouse, and I watched it, and I thought it was tremendous as yes. well. Um, I, I just two Oscar winning uh, 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 um, performances in that. I thought they were both uh, 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 unbelievably great in it. Willem Dafoe and Robert Pattinson. By the way, the whole thing about Robert Pattinson is I only had heard of him for a while for the Twilight nonsense, which I never watched and no interest in, but I've now seen him in a few things, including that and Tenet. He was tremendous in, in, in Tenet, which, you know, I don't think is Christopher Nolan's best movie, but it, it, it is really, really good in many ways. But Pattinson is tremendous in that movie. And he's going to be the new Batman, which I'm very excited. Yes, about. I saw I good. saw that as well. But he's a really, really talented actor. People have not seen The Lighthouse. I'm not sure it is a great movie as movies go, Joey, but it is mesmerizing just to watch these two guys. And I read a lot about it afterwards and about all the symbolism and all, all the rest of it. And, and, and it made more sense to me. But they are just such uh, it's what two great performances. Okay. I mean, it's essentially a, a, a play that is a movie, which we've seen uh, before. But it, those two performances and those two characters uh, were just incredible. Yeah. Willem Dafoe and, and Robert Pattinson are fantastic. They're the only two characters in the movie, really. Um, 
and I, I was surprised it wasn't up for best picture. I love that movie. It reminds me of like a David Lynch movie, but maybe I don't know. Mulholland Drive to me is like so hard to like get like it's a very inaccessible where the lighthouse like has drama and is accessible and it's weird and it's very strange. But I think that people will get weirded out and freaked out by it. And I think it's an interesting movie that has a lot to say. And I will say Robert Pattinson is a fantastic actor. I recently watched the first Twilight movie. My girlfriend made me watch the first Twilight movie. And it is horrendous. <laughs> I, I, I was also forced to watch it recently, uh, Joey. And, and I found it to be terrible as well. I mean, he was it's fine funny. in it. Um, um, but, but I mean, uh, it, it was just, uh, I don't understand the sensation about it. Uh, and, and then someone uh, I was with who was uh, uh, 10 years old wanted to watch the second one too. And I said, no, I, I, I've had my torture for the evening. Forget it. Yeah. Um, yeah. So do you have any others that aren't up for best picture that you wish were up for best picture? I mean, I don't, I, as I said, Arrival is another one of the things that just sticks in my craw along with the LA Confidential. I thought Arrival was just a brilliant, brilliant movie. And that Amy Adams, by the way, Jeremy Renner, also in that movie, um, Joey, uh, I, I just thought Arrival was tremendous, but it may have been nominated. I, I, I don't remember. I'm sorry. And I know it's terrible that I did not do more preparation uh, that's, for this. That's all right. I apologize. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, I have a couple more answers, um, some of which I don't think are they're more of a personal thing. I don't know if they should have been, but I love the sisters brothers. It's a really, really underrated Western starring Joaquin Phoenix and John C. Riley. Um, this one, I do not know. And I'd like to see. Oh my gosh. It's so funny. It's, it's so it's, 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 it's good. It's funny. It's serious. It's sad. Um, it's got Jake Gyllenhaal and Riz Ahmad as well. Uh, it, it's an incredible movie. I don't want to say too much. It's mostly about two brothers struggling with their relationship. What's it called? Joey? Sisters Brothers. Their last name is Sisters. Oh, that's right. I've heard of this. I, I gotta, I gotta get. I'm putting that on my list right now. <laughs> good, good. So I would say that that is a movie that is very underrated. Um, but I don't know. Best Picture. I, I think it, it would have been. I don't know uh, that many people have seen it. The Meyerowitz Stories uh, by Noah Baumbach. Um, I know he, about that. I've never did, seen it, but I love Noah Baumbach. Yeah, and he and he directed um, Marriage Story, which was also which was up for Best Picture and didn't win. I was I, that was a that was a packed year though. Um, Marriage Story Stories is really really movie. good again with great performances. All right, I'm going to name a movie here. I hope people hear this too. Uh, this is one of my all time favorite movies. <clears throat> people are going to scoff at this, but this should have been nominated. It's such a clever, fantastic movie. Wild Things. I don't know if you've ever seen this. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, with 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 Matt with Matt Dillon and and Nev Campbell and uh, uh, Denise Richards and Kevin Bacon. Uh, it it is it is absolutely fantastic. And it's one of those movies like everyone now, Joey. Nowadays they watch one of those Marvel movies and and they know they have to stay through the credits because there's going to be a bonus scene. This is a movie that is not fully explained unless you watch several scenes that pop up during the credit. And it's just, the whole thing is fantastically clever and subversive and nasty. And Nev Campbell is just incredible in this movie. We'll have to check that out. Check it out. Thank you for listening to this episode of Indie Matters. We'd like to thank you for tuning into our show every week. You can find everything you heard today and more on our website, thenevadaindependent.com. This show is produced and edited by Joey with additional help from Michelle Rendells, Riley Snyder, and Jackie Valley. 
If you want to support the show, tell a friend, share it on social media, and support local journalism however you can. Our theme song is from the band People With Bodies, and we have additional music from Storyblocks and original music from our own Joey Lovato. Thank you for listening to Indie Matters. I'm your host, Joey Lovato. And I'm reporter and producer Jacob Solis. And we'll talk to you next year. Next year.